Well, good morning. Looks like summer vacation has already started today. I think we're in the groove of summer already. Seems like. So we're in a series on the book of Psalms. Um, actually, uh, Ian read Psalm 145. We did that one in late February, I think. Um, maybe February 28th-ish, something like that. Um, but uh, we are right now in... Psalm 37, last week we started Psalm 37, it's what Evie was reading the whole time uh, during uh, the first songs there, and so we discussed last week that Psalm 37 is a psalm of wisdom, and so we've been looking at different themes throughout, uh, throughout Psalms, and so Psalm 37 is a psalm of wisdom, and if one of the things we said last week was that wisdom is not the smartest thing to do, it's actually the submitted thing to do. It's about putting God in the center and saying, you're going to affect every area of my life. And so that's what wisdom is. So how I think, how I interact with others. And, and last week we specifically talked about a piece of 37 about how we talk, the area of speech and how the fear of the Lord, how wisdom affects the words that come out of our mouths. And, and we talked about what, what it looks like to understand the power of the tongue and where we call people to speak wisdom and justice um, in, a, in a useful and beneficial manner. So if you weren't here last week, you can go back and listen to that. We're going to look at another area of Psalm 37 today, and it's the idea of delighting in the Lord and trusting in God rather than fretting. If you read Psalm 37, we hear that word fret quite a few times. And so I'm going to reread verses 1 through 8, um, just to kind of remind us, and then I'm going to, we'll talk a little bit about that and the idea of, of, of delighting in God and trusting rather than fretting. Um, so Psalm 37, 1 through 8, says this. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his ways, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. So in these first three verses, we see the word fret used at least three times in the first eight verses, I said that wrong. Um, we see we see that word the idea of fretting versus trusting in God. And so, fretting is really kind of an interesting word. And so, I kind of looked that up this week to to figure out exactly what fretting meant. Um, fretting is is this idea of one who who constantly or is visibly worried or anxious, which causes distress in their life. The verb form of fretting, um, which is really the result of fretting. Is, to, is this idea of, of gradually wearing away something by rubbing or gnawing, like to form a channel or a passage by rubbing or wearing away. That's, that's what fretting means in the verb form. And as I looked at this passage and I first thought about fretting, I'm like, well, I'm not usually someone that like frets that much. I'm not a super anxious person. I'm not someone that like worries a ton. Um, but then as I looked up kind of the synonyms for fretting, I think it actually like impacts me as well in my own life. And I think maybe as we think about some of these synonyms, it may kind of help us understand what this idea of fretting is. So to fret over something, a synonym can be annoyance or or something that causes us trouble or something that bothers us, a concern, perturbed, disturbed, 
uneasy, unsettled, distressed, upset, alarmed, panicked, and agitated. That last one, I think, kind of hits home with me sometimes. I think I, I tend to, to fret and become agitated. I don't make, not call it fretting, but I'm agitated with something. So as you think about this idea of fretting, what are some things in your life or the life of, of people around us that you think people normally fret about? Money. Okay, yes. It's a big one. What else? People honking at the elementary school to get their kids. Yes. Something, something that's going on around you. The airplanes now that are cruising over Culver City all the time, I'm like hitting that stupid thing of like reporting them all the time. Um, yes. We, you, know, you can do that. I'll, I'll send you the app. It's just one click. Um, yeah. What else? Your crazy neighbors. Yeah. Someone that's bothering you that you're kind of in relationship with. Yeah. Or at least close proximity to. Yeah. What else? What's that? Nasty patients, people you're working with, okay, or you're trying to take care of. Somebody you're trying to take care of, but they're not receiving it very well. Yeah, okay? That could cause you to fret. What else? Behavior of kids. Yes, that's right. My kids never cause me to fret. Yeah. Family members, yeah. Other family members that they cause you to be anxious or or all those distress and those things. That could be your husband-wife relationships as well. Yeah, good. What else? Your job. Yeah, career and your career advancement can cause you to like fret over what's going on. you got too many things to do, or I don't have enough to do, or I need a new job, or all those things. Yeah, good. What else? School. Yeah, those teachers. Oh, terrible. Some of them. Yeah. Your future. Yeah, what, what's going to happen next? Yeah, good, good. What else? Yeah, you're, yeah you, you know your own stuff. Yeah, yeah, good, good, yeah. I think about these things. I think if I'm honest, there's lots of things that I actually fret over. Um, and as I think about this idea of, of the verb form of fretting causing a channel, I think oftentimes these things that, we've, that I fret over in my own life cause agitation and can form a channel in between relationships that I have with people. I think this happens often with my wife, the things that, that when, when she doesn't think or do the things that I think that she should think or do, because that's how I would do them, um, can cause an agitation and can cause a fretting, which causes a channel in our relationship. Verse 1 says, says don't fret or be envious of those who do wrong. I think this is something that's, that's easy for us to, to think about. It's quick to like look around us and see what's going on and be envious of what other people have or what we perceive they may have. In verse 7, it says a similar thing. It says, don't fret over the one who prospers. I think sometimes we, it's easy to kind of look at, at what someone else has, what's, what else is going on, and, and we base our idea of what prospering is off of, off of our own point of view. Now, if we understand this, this idea of Psalm 37 being a psalm of wisdom, and wisdom is submitting all things to God, putting God at the center is the definition of wisdom, then fretting actually is this idea of believing that you're at the center. It's comparing what you have, what you've been given, what you think, and that leads you to thinking you deserve better or you deserve um, something else, which makes you God. It's basically putting you at the center. You get to ter- determine the outcome, and because you determine the outcome, that allows you to fret in your life. You then become God, essentially. 
which is the opposite of fretting. We see in verse 3, it's actually trusting in God. Verse 3 says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your ways to him and trust in him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. There's this real call in this verse here, really the opposite of fretting. It's really find your hope in something other than what you're fretting over. Really, because when we fret over those things, that's what we're really finding our hope in. And so it's a sense of, of, I think it's one of the reasons why if we look at the Lord's Prayer, God reminds us, and Jesus, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. It's one of the things he reminds us to pray, which is really a gospel reminder you see, when we pray this prayer of, of give us our, this day our daily bread, it's way more than, than just provide for my physical needs. It's this prayer of one who has a gospel-based faith, one who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good, one who's, who's always eager to, um, to receive as much of Jesus as possible. So when we pray this, this prayer of give us this day our daily bread, it's really we're going with this great expectation that God's going to give us more of himself. That, that we go with an expectation of his gift for us is actually him. You see, in the gospel, Christ is not only the basis of what we need, he's the sum of everything that we need. That because of, of the work of Jesus, what, what that, that the things that are, that are around us, the things that we're fretting over, we We've fallen out of love with those things. We're not in love with those things, so we're not envious about them anymore. We're no longer fretting over the success of others. Or anything else, or anything else we may value has, has, has little value compared to, to the, the craving and the value of Jesus. So when we take delight in God and when we trust in God and we pray, give us this day our daily bread, what we're really asking for is more of Jesus. That he's really our reward. The gospel now beckons us to seek more of Christ. So that, so that what man can give us doesn't really satisfy us anymore. But rather that God is the reward himself. And see this idea that we see the same thing in Romans uh, 8.32. That because of the gospel now, we know that all of our needs are met. Anything we could ever think of or want has already actually been purchased for us. Romans 3, I mean, Romans 8.32 reminds us of this. It says this, said, he who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us, oh, how much will he also, let me just start over, because that didn't come out. He who will not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So in other words, this idea is when we pray this prayer of God, give us our daily bread, we pray in confidence that we know that Christ has already purchased everything by his blood. That, that when, that when he, that he bought really what we had no ability to pay for, what we had no ability to purchase or earn on our own. It's already been paid for. And so, so really when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're not going to make a purchase we're not going to negotiate a deal. We're going simply because God has already ordained what Christ has already obtained for us. That, and we just simply receive it by asking. We pray with the knowledge now that we have a good and gracious Father who loves us. We sang about that today. One who, who always provides all that we need, both physically and spiritually. And so delighting and trusting in God is, is really about a heart change 
that changes our perspective and our focus, our mind on something eternal rather than what's going on right now in our life. And, and as we, as it's this idea that as we look at, at others who, who may be flourishing, um, but if, if without Jesus, it's going to all be fleeting. We see this in verse 2 and 3. There's this idea and this kind of this visual picture of a field of grass, um, one that, that looks green, but that's soon going to wither. And then on the other side, we see um, those dwelling in the land of God who enjoy safe pastures, pastures that are, are lush and that are, that are safe for them. I've been, I've been trying to grow grass for the past, I don't know, two months or so, something like that in my backyard, which has proven to be a little bit difficult. Um, last summer, uh, I built a deck, and so it was kind of a construction site, and so that just kind of killed stuff. And then with the drought, we didn't water it all, and so it just turned into this big dust bowl, and it was just kind of blowing all over the place. Um, and so I decided this winter with El Nino that I was going to plant some grass. Um, I figured I, I won't have to use any water, I'll just... Let God water it. And so a couple months ago when it was supposed to rain, um, I went out and I like dug up the yard for like an hour and a half and just flipped it all over and then I threw grass seed out there. And then it rained for a couple days and then, um, and then it didn't rain again. Um, and then like a couple, then like maybe three or four weeks after that, it was supposed to rain again. And so um, I spent a little bit more time just making sure that it was, it was loose. And then uh, the grass started to grow. Started to get this little baby grass started coming up, and then I was like, "All right, we're going to get some green grass in our backyard." And then, like, there's a lot of kids at my house often, not just my own, but other people. And so I'm like trying, "Don't walk on the baby grass." So like, it was better like when it was dirt. Like they wouldn't walk on it when it was like muddy. Like now, but then with like the little bits of grass, they're just like, "This is great. Let's play in this." And, and so it was starting to grow, and then it was starting to get a little bit. And then, then Easter came along, and, and, you know, we did Good Friday at my, in my backyard. And so many of you just kind of came and trampled my yard. Um, and it was a gospel time. I was like, okay, I'm, I can give up my lawn for this. Um, but, but then, like, right after Easter, it was going to rain again, so I threw out some more grass seed. And, um, and so, um, but it hasn't rained since then. And my sprinklers are broken, um, but I just fixed them this week. Um, so... Uh, the point is here, it's really, hard to, it's really hard to grow grass, at least here. Um, and as I thought about this idea of even the grass that like, was starting to come up and grow, um, like if I wasn't watering, if I didn't water it at all, if I just kind of waited, it's, it started to turn brown pretty quick. Um, and it started to struggle. And it's this idea that in order for, for the grass to grow and in order for, for there to be life in the lawn... There really needs to be there needs to be a lot of water that's taking that's taking place, and this is true of all things, right? If there's no water, it's going to equal death. Without water, there's death. Like for all of us, for any, for anything that grows, for any human, for this whole planet, without water, there's death. Which is what the wisdom of this psalm is really getting at here: that we need the living water that only God can provide. That all throughout Scripture, we see this analogy of water um, equated with life and, and living with God. Um, in Jeremiah, we see this, this multiple times where God's people have looked outside of him and looked in other places. And in, in 2.13, it says this, For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So instead of delighting in God, instead of trusting in God, they found their delight in something else. And they've looked 
the, the people of Israel here looked to other nations and what they had and what was going on in, the, in those other nations, and they started to fret. They started to look around and say, we, we want some of these other things. And that fretting divided, it kind of wore a channel in between their relationship and God. We see this over and over and over again in the story of Scripture, where we have this, with this parallel track of, of God promising something, um, and he's promising living water, and he's promising a city that's going to flow with living water, where people, where God's people dwell. And we, when we find people on the other side fretting over other things and running away from that. Until Jesus comes along in John, and he says, I am the living water. In John 7, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying, I am the living water. I am the provider. I am the daily bread. Take me in. Whatever it is you're fretting over, look at it. Look at me compared to that instead. It's I am, I am, I am what you need more of. In John 6, Jesus says this in 53. He says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And so Jesus said earlier, pray more for, ask for your daily bread. What he's actually saying is pray more for me. I'm the one that you need to feed, that you need to eat, that you need to drink from. We're not talking about cannibalism in here. We're talking about in, in spiritual form. This is what Jesus, he's the living water. He's what, he's what changes your life and what your perspective is. And if you notice in these verses, the words change from eat to feeds. The good news of the gospel is that it's not just something that we eat once. Rather that we're people who need to be daily eating and feeding on Jesus. That we, meet, we need more of Jesus daily. That we need Jesus in every aspect of our life that we want to fret over. That he is our daily bread. That, that just like we need water to survive every day, that the only way you can make it through life without fretting is daily eating the bread of the gospel. Is daily being reminded of who God is and what he's done for you and who you are now. My grandmother used to say often, you are what you eat. And so like, we'd be going around the table, and she's like, you're going to turn into a turkey. You know, but she used to say that. But what's that actually, this is saying is actually really true. That the more of, that you eat of Jesus, the more that you take him into your life, the more that he affects every part of your life, the more that you're going to be like him. That the only way that the fruit of the gospel is going to be lived out in your life is that your heart would be daily reminded of its desperate need of Jesus and how gracious he is to you and how he's not just given you a little portion, but he's given you all of himself. And you didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it, but he provided it for us. He provided all of our needs, both physically and spiritually. I want to look at one last thing we see in verse 7, because um, I think it's directly related to this idea of our fretting hearts. And verse 7 says this, it says, it's this call here, it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. 
I thought about this. I wonder how often our impatience leads to fretting. How often we're running around trying to achieve or do or, or our, our, often our fretting, our annoyance, our agitation, our anxiety relates to the lack of patience in our life. You think about impatience. What are, what are some things you get impatient about? Traffic. Okay? Get impatient about traffic. Good. What else? Lack of children's obedience. Okay? Specifically putting on kids' shoes. Yes. I still tie shoes. Whining. What else? What are some things we get impatient about? Okay, yeah. Investing in something and hoping that it would happen and it hasn't really played out the way you thought. Yeah, good. Yeah. Okay, yeah, whether that's a, an event in your life or a vacation or whatever, something that's in the future that you're impatient about. Good, yeah. What else? Impatient about abundance of homework, yeah. Friends coming to know Jesus. Yeah, good. Yeah, when, when am I going to get better? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had this cold for the past four months. When's this going to end? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, how quickly we learn or understand a new concept. Yeah, good. Yeah. Okay, waiting for all the pieces to fall in place in a plan. Okay, good, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Waiting for the own, your own things in your own life. Yeah. You know, as I hear you guys talk, these lists sound very, very similar. They sound very similar. We've said them a little bit differently, but they're very much, they're very similar to the same things. I, I think this idea of impatience is something that, that is really big in our culture. I, I would say that impatience really even skews our idea or our understanding of what God's patience looks like. We judge him based on our broken idea of patience. Because, of in, because really, impatience is all we really know. I, if I was God, I would take care of this a lot faster. What has taken you so long? I think it's just so ingrained in our culture, this idea of impatience. You know that the average, um, the average annual cost of people running red lights in, in, our, in our country is $7 billion dollars. $7 billion every year we spend on running red lights. That's just the people that got caught. Billion with a B. You know how much time that actually saves you? 50 seconds. And I would say probably in a city like ours, it's less than that. Because you're going to stop like a quarter mile down the road at the next one. Because there's, there's too much traffic there. We save less than a minute for $7 billion. Yeah, I don't know. You, you you mentioned traffic. I don't know if this ever happened to you, or or you've ever done this, or maybe you've been a part of this at some point. That you're sitting at the line and the and the light turns green, and for some reason the person in front of you doesn't recognize that it's turned green, and like two seconds later you're like, "Come on!" and you're hitting the horn, and you're like, "Get out of the way!" and like you speed past them and you give them the look or something else, maybe, right? You've probably never done that, um, but but. I, I've seen it happen. Um, you know, it, it, it's happened to me. Someone's looked at me that way. I don't know. Um, but yeah, impatience is really this thing that goes in our, in our culture. I, I think it's even how we like judge how, like, how a restaurant is good or bad, right? Like how fast we get our food. 
this, this is something that I kind of deal with. Um, I've dealt with this since I was a little kid. Um, that when I was a little kid, when we would go out to eat, my parents, I'd always try to convince my parents to go to a buffet because I didn't want to wait for our food. Right? And if you ever seen at a restaurant, you're like, why is this food taking so long? And you're like looking around. These people came in after us and they already have their food. Who ordered the steak? Right? Like there's this whole piece where like it turns out to this finger pointing. And, and maybe impatience is not your issue, but it's one of mine, so I'm talking about it. Um, God's been working on me for a long time on this. Um, but, but I think it's this part of as humans, it's really part of the fall and part, that, a part of, of something that affects all of our lives. It, we become impatient with other people and other things around us. I think it's easier for me. I've been growing in patience, but I think for me it's easier to be patient about the big stuff. But it's the little things that continue to go on and on and on where I just want to like burst. How many times do we have to go over this? How many times have I said this? If I was like God, it'd be like, Beep, we're done. Zap. But God is not like that. I think we can think God is like that. I think we think that our impatience leads to the way that God, God interacts. But over and over and over in Scripture, we see God as a God who's described as one who's slow to anger. And so the wisdom of this psalm is really calling us to be patient like him, to come and sit before God, to not run ahead of him, um, but rather to be still, to just be and not do, to find our rest in him. You see, as I was thinking about this, it's impossible to be um, impatient when you're at rest. Ever think about that? When you're resting, you're not impatient. Like when you're actually sleeping, you're, 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 you're not going to be impatient. When you're sleeping, fretting is all gone. Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. And so true wisdom is actually finding our hope and rest in Jesus. It's delighting in him and the goodness of God. It's trusting in him. It's committing your ways to him. And it's living in patience. As I think about this, I want to remind us that this is not something that this idea that the call not to fret and to live in wisdom and to live patiently is not something that you can just muster up and try to do. It's not something, all right, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to fret anymore when I go home today. I'm going to be patient all day long till that guy doesn't go green. Um, The only way that we can actually live this way, the only way that we can actually um, live in wisdom is for God to change us. For our delighting and trusting in him are really works of the spirit. We need to call on him daily. That's, what, that's the reminder of, the, of him being our daily bread is to call and remind him to ask the spirit to develop these things in our hearts. You and I, we can't learn these things on our own. This is not something we have the power to achieve. It's only learned from him and through him. And so we pray and we ask God to cover our spirit, to change us, to clothe us with his patience in your life, to keep our hearts from fretting. And the good news of that is as God changes us, and as he, as he does that in us, he makes us more like himself, and, and he's exalted among the nations, this verse says. That when, we, that, that when he changes us to live this way, to not fret and to be um, patient, that, that it's, it's really countercultural. 
It goes against our nature. It goes against the nature of our culture. And it becomes a powerful tool where the gospel can be exalted among the nations. I think about that in our city. Um, as God changes us to live in a new way and, and calls us to find our hope in something else, to really to drink of the living waters of Jesus every day, that, that he's provided for us that in community. And as we endure with one another during hard times and we're, we're slowed to anger with one another, really is demonstrating love for each other. And we're patiently pursuing one another. It provides us an opportunity to declare the good news that Jesus is better than anything else that we might think about or want to fret over in our life. And the good news is that in Revelation, it tells us that, that one day Jesus will return and that he will establish a new city. And it says in the middle of that city is a river flowing of living water, that the flow will flow forever. And really that the channel that's been dug in the relationship because of our fretting will be no more. But until that day comes, we get to call. And I want to I remind you to call and ask the Spirit to mold us into this way. That he's, that he's calling us to be more like this in each day. Not just so that we would have a nice life together. Or so that like, we wouldn't be annoyed with, with people at our work or in our schools or in our kids or whatever that may be. But so that, so that Culver City and Los Angeles and the rest of the world would be able to see and have a daily encounter with who God is, with the God of the universe that loves and pursues and has already provided for them everything they need. That they would find their satisfaction in him, not in the things that, that, we, that we often desire. And so as we go to the table this morning, really it's, this is a gospel reminder that we need to daily eat and drink of Jesus. So we're not daily, we're not eating and, and actually drinking of his blood physically here, but it's reminding our hearts that we're daily in need of him. And so as you go to the table, I want, I want you to, to confess things that, that you're fretting over, confess things of areas where you've been impatient, and ask God to change your heart in those things so that we would then live a new way, so that he would be exalted among the nations. Our Father, we thank you that, um, that we get to worship you this morning. We thank you that you don't fret over us. Thank you that you're not anxious about what is going on in this world. Lord, we thank you that, that you're patient with us. But I often think about if I was you and you were me, I would have zapped myself already. Lord, you haven't done that. You, you are very patient with us. And so, Lord, I pray that, that as we think about you, that, that Jesus would be our reward and that, that you would change our hearts to live in a new way. Lord, I pray that you would make us patient people the way you're patient with us. Lord, I pray that you would remove any uh, fretting in our lives. Lord, we thank you that we get to go to the table and reminded of our need of you. pray that we um, would daily call others to you. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.